You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Church, we're for an awesome word this morning. I feel a platform uh, for transformation in your life has already been set. What an incredible job by our worship team. Can we give them some thanks this morning? Such an awesome privilege that Rachel uh, and I get to lead these guys. They, they're amazing. Um, not just the ones present here, but every one of those represented in our team that every week, week in and week out here, Northwest, some Sunday nights, you know, sometimes a youth with our youth team, you know, they, uh, they're just their heart is that you would connect with Jesus. That is their heart. That's why they do what they do. And I think they do an awesome job. So thanks, guys. Love you. Come on. So what, as you take a seat, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, how good was Pastor Simo last week? Yeah. How good was Pastor Simo last week? Yeah, he was awesome. And uh, just an incredible job opening up our series on a church like home. And uh, just want to say thanks for coming out this morning. I noticed a few visitors. Thanks for coming and being with us this morning. My name's Pastor Nate. And uh, as I said, my wife and I have an incredible privilege of leading our creative team. And uh, we just counted a, a huge joy to be able to do that and to see the fruit of what these guys do and their gifts. And uh, I just think it's awesome. So... That's who I am. Our senior pastors, uh, Pastor Keith and Janet, they're actually away at the moment. They're ministering in Indonesia, along with some of our, our leader builders, uh, Pete and Fiona Edwards. So uh, in a second, we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray for them. Um, uh, it's so important that we continue to uplift our senior ministers, uh, no matter where they are and where they're ministering. Um, we honour them as our, our senior oversights, our, our parents of this house and um, just continue to speak life into their world and blessing and favour and vision and all those things, um, even though they're not with us presently today. Um, but you know, I, really, I feel like God is really doing something in this series in our church, just redefining who we are continually as a church, why we're here, what we are, what's our purpose, and, and why are we doing this together? What is the purpose of, of the living stones coming together to build a building that's living, breathing, talking, walking here on planet Earth? Why, why, why do that, right? Why, why build the church? If you're the Savior of the world, if you're God Almighty, why choose to establish the church, why not just take everybody uh, that believes in you straight away? Why leave us here to do this thing week in and week out, Monday to Saturday, Sunday as well, uh, called the church? And I believe that this series is speaking into that. And Pastor Simo opened up last week talking about the fact that we are to be a home for humanity. Uh, that until the day comes where Jesus does come back and does take us to the home that he's preparing for us in our Father's house, until that point, we're called to make this place a home for humanity. A home that those that don't know Jesus can come into, feel at home, open themselves up to potentially receiving what Jesus has done and find themselves one day with us in the home that Jesus is preparing. So there's a, there's a purpose for us being here. Now, I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but it's going to be a good series. So 
in saying all that, I, I, I want to encourage you to be engaged this morning. I know that at this point in the service, it can feel like I've stood up and it's time to sit back and kick back and relax and listen, and hopefully the, the preacher will make me laugh and it'll be funny. And, but can I encourage you to, to sit forward this morning? I believe God has something for you. I don't, I don't you know, prepare a word because I like talking. I do. But I prepare a word because I believe that, that God is going to speak through me to you this morning. So I want to encourage you to be engaged, sit forward, be ready in your posture, in your spirit to receive what God has for you this morning. And then beyond that, be responsive. So when you feel God speaking into your spirit, into your heart, don't, don't shy away from the response that comes after that. The fruit of the message comes in the response. All I'm doing is throwing seed and not turning my phone off. Apparently Adam Owen is going for an 8K run at Glenrock at 12.15. If anyone wants to join him, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be powerful. Busted. Um, it's all good. I love, what, I love what Pastor Simo said about buying coffees. I just want to give a public shout out. Every Wednesday, right after staff meeting, right before uh, some of the staff, some of the pastors walk in a review preview, Chris Windus walks around the whole office asks every single person for a coffee, does a coffee run, brings it back, and I tell you, this guy alone increases the productivity of that meeting by about a thousandfold. So, man, I love that coffee. I, I, I love that coffee. It's awesome. Let's read the Bible, shall we? Come on. Um, 1 Peter, as we've said, we're, we're in 1 Peter for the whole of this series. So if, if you're looking for something to read in your quiet time, nope, that was not Siri. If you're looking for something to read in your quiet time, read 1 Peter. It's not a big book and um, maybe read it over a couple of days and, and start to turn over the soil of your heart into what God's speaking through. And um, when you arrive here, it will be like you've already uh, prepared the soil for the Word. So 1 Peter 3, 8 to 11 says, finally, I'm reading in the Amplified, so if you don't have that, you can follow on the, on the screen. Finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tenderhearted and humble, never returning evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue lashing and berating, but on the contrary, blessing praying for their welfare, happiness and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. For know that to this you have been called, that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. For let him who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from guile, treachery and deceit. Let him turn away from wickedness and shun it and let him do right. Let him search for peace, harmony, undisturbedness from fear, agitating passions and moral conflicts and seek it eagerly. Do not merely desire peaceful relationships with God, with your fellow man and with yourself, but pursue, go after them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that this thing, the Bible, God, it is your word. It is living and it is active, God. It is uh, alive in us. And I pray this morning that it would go to work. 
as we explore it, that you would bring revelation to our hearts about what you are saying to us this morning. Lord, we pray for our Northwest campus. God, as they begin to kick off their service, we pray for power. We pray for encounters with the Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you so much that the Jets are on top of the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, who said prayer didn't work? So good. Um, just loving it, bottom to top, right? That shows that God's involved. So why Peter? It's, I think it's good to know why in church. It's good to ask the question, why? Why as a pastoral team have we felt on God's put on our heart to do this series and to explore what Peter says about the church? Well, to recap what Pastor Simo said, he talked about the fact that Peter was kind of this key guy in the whole idea of establishing the church. He was there when, when Jesus first mentioned the idea of the church. On this rock, Peter, I will build my church. As the first time Jesus used that sort of vernacular around what he was going to leave behind when he left planet earth and Peter was there and then we see in Acts again Peter is there at the moment the Holy Spirit falls in power so the church might be birthed 3,000 people came to faith that day marking the beginning of what we know as the church here on earth and then if you read through the New Testament continually Peter is referenced particularly by James if you explore James's journey into leadership uh, he is continually at these these meetings of church leaders and Peter's name continually comes up. So Peter is kind of this key guy in establishing what we know as the church. Uh, and so uh, I feel like it's a great idea to, to when we see that in Scripture to go, okay, maybe he knows a thing or two. You know, he was kind of there when it all birthed. He was there when it happened. He probably knows what he's talking about. What does he say about this community? What does he say about this thing that we call church, that we are, not that we're a part of, it's that we are, but what does he say it should look like? And so we're going to go right through Peter for the next three weeks, four in total if you count last week. Maths is great. And, and we're going to explore what it is to be this thing called the church. Now, Pastor Simo, great job last week, kicked it off by defining this idea that we are a church for humanity, a home. And he talked about this, this awesome understanding of what it was to be at home, to have these food outposts all around the city, Right? That's what I see prophetically over our church. I see, I see these outposts all over the city. Right, These living, walking, talking, breathing buildings all over the city providing homes for people to be able to come into. I don't know about your home growing up, but my home growing up, we had an open door policy. Right? We had, we, my mum still does. I don't think our front door has a lock. Right? Uh, you, could, you could just walk in and there would be, there's always people at my mum's house. There was always people at our house growing up. I had friends that were basically family members because they were at our house so often growing up. But that's what our church should be like. That's what we should be like. We should have an open door policy so that everyone has an opportunity to come in and experience this community that God is establishing here on earth. And Simo unpacked that in an incredible way, articulating this idea of home. This idea that we are to be an inclusive community, right? Inclusive of all people. We're not a home for us. We're a home for humanity. We're actually a home really set up for those that aren't in the home yet, but that are going to become a part of the home. That's why, that's why we are who we are and that's why we do what we do, so that we might open a door for people to come in. And he talked about how this idea of family, this idea that in the home we're a family, we're all joined together, we can't do it alone, we're not called to be single bricks, but we're called to be brick by brick, holding each other up, supporting each other side by side, uh, so that we might be all that we're called to be. And, 
It's a funny thing about family, right? If you explore this word family, right in the middle of the word is a letter I. Right, I, that I is integral to the word family, right? Without it, the fam lies. Yeah, it's just... But, but I is also integral to how the family functions because what I do in the family has an impact on the rest of the family. So within this series, we're actually looking at four eyes of the family. Four eyes. We are inclusive. Eye number one, that was last week. We're a home for humanity. We're an open door. We're a building that welcomes in, doesn't keep people out. We're inclusive, first eye. Second eye is this week. Okay. Second eye we're going to talk about is that we are invested. So if you want to take notes in this series, we made it really easy for you to take some clear pointers. We're talking about a home where a family exists and we're all about what the eye looks like in the family because when we examine what the eye does, we're really talking about how the whole family can function. Because if I and you as an eye and you as an eye and everyone as eyes addresses what they're doing, then the whole starts to work the way it should. All right, so invested. When I hear the word invested, I often link it to money. I don't know about you, it's whether my brain, my brain works, invested, money. And, and the Bible talks about the fact that you know, money or treasure, where our treasure is, there our heart is also, right? So money is not really where we want to go this morning, but, but if you're like me and you think about money, then let's do this journey, right? Money, where our money is, there our heart is, Okay. We also know that home is where the heart is. And 1 Peter 3 tells us that we are to love, which comes from our heart, like brethren of one household, which is one home, which is where the heart is. Are you following my drift? So being invested is about where our heart is. Being invested is about our heart. So this morning we're going to talk about our heart. Next week, we're going to talk about being involved. It's I number three. It's a practical thing. We've all been given gifts. What are we going to do with our gifts? But this morning, we're talking about our heart because it's important to talk about our heart before we talk about our hands. Our action should always come from our affection, not the other way around. Our labor should be a labor of love. We need to establish the love before we look at the labor. Who knows, in childbirth, it's love before labor. Anyway, let's look at some context in Scripture, right? Context is king. We shouldn't take Scripture out of context. So what's happening around this verse that we've looked at? Out of 1 Peter 3, uh, 8 to 11, what is happening around it? Well, Pastor Simo started last week looking at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 and talked about the living stones all coming together and defined who we are. What comes after that that then enables us to begin with the word finally? Our Scripture this morning started with finally. We should ask ourselves, if that's finally, what's firstly? Right, if, if this is the end thing, what's the first thing? The first thing is who we are. The first thing is we are living stones. We're all together in this. One stone doing the best that it can do is still just a brick, right? It's not a house. It doesn't matter how well one person does what they're called to do. We're actually all called to do this together. Okay, so, so that's where we start. And then, and then 
uh, Peter in his, in his writings journeys through what that then looks like in a number of different settings. So how does this idea of being a living, breathing, walking, talking building play out in different real life scenarios? Because who knows that what we learn in Sunday should apply on our Monday. We shouldn't box it into Sunday and that was a great little high experience, but now it's Monday and it's real life and none of that applies. We need to, we need to take what we learn on Monday and apply it, sorry, on Sunday and apply it to our Monday to see the church really be what it's called to be. So he goes through and he says, right, after you've learned who you are, you're this living, breathing, walking, talking building, let's look at what that looks like in the world. In verse 11 and 12, he concentrates on us in the world. Then verse 13 to 17, he concentrates on what we should look like with authority, right? How we should react to government, okay? Uh, America would do with that message right now. Um, Then he looks at us as if we were slaves, all right? That doesn't mean feel like it applies to us, but sometimes in employment, we can feel like we're treated like a slave. And so there's, a, there's something that we can relate to there as well. And then, and then the fourth thing he looks like in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 is marriage and how, who we are as the church, living, breathing, walking, talking, stones, building all together. How does that affect our marriages? And it's at this point, verse 8, that he says, finally, now that we've talked about all that, let's talk about each other. Let's talk about how the stones react with the stones. Let's talk about how our hearts connect in this place. Let's talk about how we deal with one-on-one, each other, the stone right next to you when you get to this place on a Sunday. Let's talk about how, how we deal with that. So this morning, point number one. And if you know uh, my preaching, I don't normally do points. So this is going to be exciting for the note takers in the room this morning. All right, you're not going to have to decipher the narrative to find the points. I'm going to make it really clear. Point number one this morning is the heart connection. The heart connection. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Sometimes we just have to let the word preach itself, right? That is how we should be with each other. Five key attributes around how our hearts should really be connected in this place. Five things that Peter articulates about what the heart connection of this living, breathing, walking, talking, building should look like underneath the surface of it. Underneath the surface of what people might see, what is the connection? It's about unity. It's about sympathy. It's about loving each other like a brother or sister. It's about compassion. And it's about being courteous, which he defines as tender-hearted and humble. I'm going to do my best to address all of these in point one. Here we go. Strap in. It's going to be quick. Unity speaks of a common purpose and a common focus. It's about all looking in the same direction. It's about all being committed to walking in the same direction. The reason we need to be united is that what we're called to, we're called to it together. We cannot be on or accomplish our mission in isolation. It doesn't matter how well I stand up here and preach I need everyone doing what they're called to do to actually be this living, breathing, walking, talking building. Otherwise, I'm just a clanging gong. I'm just a voice. That's all. 
We are called to this mission together. We are called to do it unified and united with the same spirit, with the same connection, the same direction that we're looking at and going towards, all together on the journey, working towards the one thing. That's what we're supposed to be like. That's what it looks like to be united. That's what it looks like to be in unity. Can you imagine if an architect and a builder and, 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 and the client were all thinking different things when it came to building a house? I came across a situation the other day. I was at someone's house and he was telling me a story about how he'd met his neighbour. And his neighbour is currently building a house, which I'd love to do one day. Uh, and whilst I'm not, I'm learning all of the ways to do it correctly and not incorrectly. And, and this was a key in that because I learned how to do it not, uh, I learned how not to do it. And um, what had happened was that they had designed one set of plans. And for some reason, later on, they had, they had decided that, that they were going to do a whole different set of plans. And so they redesigned the whole building with the architect. Now, the issue was that the second set of plans weren't sent to the builder. And so the builder is building this house, lovely as it is, off of the wrong set of plans. Some things in building are easy to change. The incorrect placement of a foundation is not easy to change particularly when the walls and half the roof are already on once the client goes down to check on the building project, right? So, so let's not be that client and let's not wait for the Holy Spirit to come in and realize that there's a foundation built in our church and walls built, but, but we're building to a different plan than what he had in mind all along. Second thing we're called to is, is to be sympathetic to each other, right? Sympathy to me speaks of caring, speaks of carrying those that can't manage to carry themselves through a season. We're supposed to care about each other. It's not, it's not just streaming ahead to, to accomplish the goal. And, and if you can't keep up, we're leaving you behind. This is not the community that we're called to be. We're called to be a community that says, yes, we do have a goal and we do have a vision. We do have a purpose. But if you can't walk right now, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to put you on my shoulders and I'm going to carry you for a little while so that you are still a part of this when we arrive at the place we're called to be. If you can't manage to walk by yourself in whatever season you're going through. We're supposed to mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. We're actually supposed to risk having an emotional connection with each other. We need to allow ourselves to emotionally buy in to each other's life. Then he goes on to talk about loving each other as one household, considering, uh, sorry, loving each other as brethren of one household, considering that we are one household. We're a home, we're a household, we're a family. We're supposed to have a love like a family. Not that, not that I can completely condone this movie, but I do, I do love Gone in 60 Seconds for the cars. Love the idea of the fast cars in the movie. And there's a particular line in that movie which has always stuck with me, and if you've seen it, you might know it. If you haven't seen it, well, it's okay not to watch it. Um, just, just accept what I'm going to say. Right towards the end, there's a criminal, a bad criminal, and then there was another criminal. Right? Hopefully you pick up... Um, the story here, and I can articulate it well. But then there was a police officer, and the police officer, the whole movie has been chasing this particular criminal who's been stealing cars. You can see it's a wholesome movie. And, 
And there's a point where the criminal who was stealing the cars for the other criminal, it kind of all falls apart because he didn't steal enough cars and now, now he's in a lot of trouble with the, with the bad criminal. And the, but the police officer doesn't know about the bad criminal. I hope you're all yeah, staying on board with this movie. It's a very clear plot synopsis. Um, there's a, and then it arrives at this particular scene where the bad criminal has an opportunity um, to take out the policeman. And, and, and the, the other criminal who's been stealing the cars actually saves a police officer's life. And they have this very lovely little moment where the police officer, standing face-to-face with a criminal he's been trying to catch all movie, says, what am I going to do now? I'm in a moral dilemma. He says, I know why you came back. You see, at the start of the movie, this particular criminal had left. He had a criminal past, but had left it behind. And, and he'd, he'd come back to help his brother out of a situation. And the police officer says, I know why you came back. A brother's love is a brother's love. There's something deep about the love of a family. There's a phrase that blood runs thicker than water. The reality is that that we are actually blood related. You know that? It's the blood of Jesus that relates us. We are actually a blood related family. You are actually my brothers, my sisters. Romans 12, 9 to 11 says, Love is to be sincere. And active, the real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, detest all ungodliness, do not tolerate wickedness. Hold on tightly to what is good. Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family. Give preference to one another in honor, never lagging behind in diligence, aglow in the spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. You've all heard the saying, he's not heavy. He's my brother. There's a distinction and a depth to brotherly love that is difficult to break. It transcends circumstance, distance, and time. You know, I have family members that live a long, a long way away. We don't see each other very much, and particularly my sister. I don't see her very much. But I can tell you, the moment that she was to call and say, Nate, I, I'm in trouble, I would be there. No questions, because she's my family. Then he goes on to tell us that we should be passionate, courteous, tender-hearted, and humble. To me, you want to know, I could summarize those four words in a statement. It's probably longer than four words, but there you go. It's not a summary. Speaks of making gracious allowance for people's humanity. Can we just take a moment and remember we're all human? The less you expect perfection the less you're going to get disappointed. The more we remember that everyone is human, we all struggle with our humanity, none of us are perfect, the less likely we are to get offended when that person isn't perfect, the less likely we are to get disappointed when they do something that comes out of their humanity and isn't perfect in our expectation. Three strikes and you're out doesn't work in a family. We don't get to just, see you later, brother, you're out. It doesn't work like that. It's not that easy to walk away from a family. And while we're on that note, perfection isn't what speaks to the world. Do you want to know what speaks louder to the world than perfection? It's having unity It's having sympathy. 
It's having love. It's having compassion. It's being courteous in the face of imperfection. It's admitting that we are all imperfect. It's admitting that we are all human in this place. Yet, because of that, and in, 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 uh, even because of that, we love. In spite of that, that was what I was looking for. In spite of that, we're united. In spite of that, we have sympathy. In spite of that, that will talk way louder to the world out there than declaring that somehow we're perfect when we know we're not. It's that type of a community that shines like a city on a hill. Because it's, it's those things that shine. Perfection doesn't shine because everyone knows it's fake. Unless you're Jesus, stop pretending we have it all together. I can guarantee you I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to do something that offends you. I'm probably going to make you angry. I'm probably going to say something that you don't like. But do you want to know what will stand out to the world is that when people within this family, within this congregation have moments to throw back insult for insult, to do evil for the evil that gets done because we do do those things from time to time. When they happen, what's gonna speak loudly is not throwing the same thing back but saying, I'm actually called to love. I'm actually called to show sympathy, to show compassion. I tell you, you do that and the world is gonna take notice that something is different in this community to the one they build on Facebook. Because most people's community these days is online. People are crying out for an authentic community. And here's the thing. People can smell fake a mile away. Fake comes from the facade. It comes from the, the thing that we put on. Authenticity comes from within. You can look at a house, but all you're going to see from the front is the facade. If you want an authentic, real experience of that house, you need to see what's inside. And we need to make sure that we strive and with the grace of God aim to have these things in our lives at a level that is authentic and real, even if we don't get it right all the time, that our heart is set on these things being authentic, part of the community that we are, that we call the church, this living, breathing, walking, talking, building. Let's not make it fake, let's make it real. You know, the first time that, that I came back to church, I grew up in an Anglican church, but I walked away from church for a long, long time. The first time that I came back to church, it was actually, um, it was the second Sunday in February in 2005. It was a fairly significant date in my life. But I walked into the church that at the time was East Side. It was a plant out of this very church uh, in Merriweather. Now we, we, we refer to it as C3NC, but at that time was, it was East Side. And I walked into that place and I had so many issues going on in my life. I really didn't like the worship. I really didn't like the message. It, was, it made me all like itchy, scratchy on the inside because, you know, the Holy Spirit was getting all over my issues. And, but I can tell you right now the reason I came back the next week. It was because I felt accepted. Actually accepted. Now, I had a community of friends. I, I, had, I had a great big community of friends. 
but the friendship, the relationship, the, the, the heart connection in that community that I had built, I can tell you right now, it would have dropped in a second. It was fake. It was a facade. It wasn't real. And when I walked into that church, what I experienced in a moment was something I couldn't explain. It was some type of authentic acceptance. It was amazing. Now, I went back the second week, and in the second week, God had done a work in, in, during the week, and <clears throat> I responded to Jesus. All right, that was point one. <laughs> point two. We're going to go super quick now. Everyone always tells me I preach for a long time. I'm, I'm trying to fix that. It's not, it's not going well. <laughs> point two. We've done the heart connection. Let's talk about the heart condition. You see, we're supposed to have this heart connection, but that heart connection gets disrupted when there's stuff going on causing a heart condition. We stop making gracious allowance. You know, we aren't compassionate or courteous or tender. What happens is we end up becoming offended and, and bitter and angry and disappointed and, and these things get in and they start to fester in our heart. And the problem is that when we have these conditions, we don't notice we have these conditions because they're, they're inside of us and it's difficult to, to get a magnifying glass on your own soul from time to time. And, and so Peter knows that this is a problem. He knows that in this, this, this church he's articulating, he recognises that when these issues occur in people's hearts, this is a problem to the community. So he, he, he shows us how we can recognise if we have a heart condition. You see, because he was around in the Gospels, he was living on earth when Jesus spoke, pretty cool. Um, so he was there when in Luke, uh, it's recorded that Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Peter begins to talk about language. He begins to talk about our speech. He begins to say, say this, don't say that. Because he knows that we can recognise a heart condition by what comes out of our mouth. We can recognise if we're carrying bitterness, hurt, disappointment, regret, offence by what's coming out of our mouth, by the language that we use, the speech that we have. You know, just like a Geiger counter warns you of radiation exposure, so our speech indicates to us, it's like a warning, it's like a red flag. Hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, why, why am I saying those things? What's going on in my heart that's causing my mouth to say what, those things that I'm saying? Speech is so important. Speech has the power to create. With our words, we're able to set an atmosphere. And if we're talking about setting an atmosphere in this place, when we gather, when all the stones are together, we're setting an atmosphere that's going to shock society, you know, wanting to know why we have such a different community to the one that they experience in their workplace or their home. We need to make sure that the language that we're using in this place and about this place is a language that is building this place and a language that is setting an atmosphere of love in this place, not tearing it down. Verse 9 and 10 speak specifically into this. I'm not going to read it uh, verbatim because I want to get through a little bit of this. But Peter outlines very specifically that there is positive and negative uses for our speech. And that when we speak positively, it's because it's coming from our heart. And when we speak negatively, it's because it's coming out of a condition in our heart. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, Let's look at life for a second. When we're speaking life, it lines up with where Peter is talking about good days. You want to have good days, you want to have long life, then bless. Pray for welfare. Pray for happiness. 
Speak contentment. Speak well-being. Speak protection. Speak these things about yourself and speak these things about others within the community. But similarly, he warns us that there is a speak, there is a language, there are words that will bring death, not just to this community, but to yourself. Sometimes we don't recognize that the words we use become a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're the things we hear the most. He says, don't speak treachery, guile, deceit. Don't respond with an insult. Don't give evil for evil. Don't be scolding. Don't be berating. Don't abuse. I could add, don't complain. Don't be negative. Can we talk about swearing for a second in church? When I first got saved, God spoke to me so clearly about that. He goes, Nate, in a world, in the world that you exist in, it's a second nature to use foul language. He said, Nate, it's such an easy way to stand out. And I've called you to stand out so people ask why you stand out. Hey, Nate, why don't you use that language? I just wonder sometimes if we use things without thinking or maybe we say things because there's things going on in our heart. See, when we're a type of community that Peter's talking about, what we say about the church, we complain about the church, we're negative about the church, we're really complaining about each other. We're really complaining and being negative about each other because what this is, this family, this living, breathing, walking, talking, building, we are each living stones being built up into the church. And so when we're complaining about the church, what we're complaining about is individual stones, complaining about how they're joined together, complaining about what that looks like. Let's not be that church. That brings death. Let's bring life. Let's talk about blessing, well-being. Let's speak with faith over people. Let's encourage people. Let's build people up with our language. Let's talk about the great future of our church. Let's talk about what God can do and will do through our church, in our community. Let's talk about the future with, with expectation. All right, point three. The location of the heart. The connection of the heart. The condition of the heart and the location of the heart. I'm going to land this plane talking about money. All right, brace yourself. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The location of your finance, the location of your treasure, you, you can't escape it. It dictates the location of your heart. It dictates the location of your focus. It dictates the location of your passion. It dictates the location of your care. Okay, It's, it's like a universal truth uh, that, that is embedded in Scripture for us to be aware of, that when we, what we buy into, we are connected to. Church, I want to commend you. Pastor Keith has said from this platform that for the first time in like 25 years, we're going to finish this year in the black. Come on, that is something to celebrate. That is something to be encouraged about. That is something where as a leadership team, we are committed to saying, hey, that is you guys doing amazing in this area. You are generous. You are clearly investing where your heart is. You are clearly a generous church. So I want to say, well done. I want to say, great job. I want to commend you, encourage you. This is awesome. Such great news. You know, I've always... I've always liked investing in the share market. Uh, right from a young age, about 15 and 16, I was pretending to invest. And then when I was old enough, I did it for real. And, and I can tell you that as soon as I buy into a company, 
I am so focused on that company. I'm reading every news article about that company. Good investors would tell you you should do that before you buy in, but I haven't quite worked that out yet, right? But like that, everything to do with that company becomes my business. Everything to do with that company becomes my focus. I care about it. I'm like, oh my goodness. I didn't know that BHP had a damn collapse in some South African nation. Like suddenly I know all these obscure things that's going on with this company. But as soon as I sell, it's like the company doesn't exist to me anymore. I couldn't care about what it does. says something about what we're bought into. You know, Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors, I'm going to do my best to summarise his, his investment philosophy. Don't shoot me down if you've read his book, all right? It's probably totally different. But from what I see from the outside is that he gets his greatest returns from buying into a great company and staying in it for a long time. Sometimes I think we treat church like a day trader. We're in for a quick high, and then we're out. Off to the next company that's about to go up, and we ride the up, and then we're out. But the greatest result, the greatest return, the greatest fruit in your life will come from finding a great, a great company, a great church, a great building, a great living, breathing set of stones all joined together, great like this place, and deciding that you're going to buy into it and then staying in it for a long time, being planted in the house of the Lord, not being transplanted when seasons go up and seasons go down, but riding the ups and downs because you know eventually in God's economy, up and down and up and down are going like this anyway. And if we're in there for the long haul, we're going to find that at the end. Oh my goodness, the fruit that's come out of our life, the return that's been poured into our life is incredible. This is a great company. And I believe that if we buy into it and stay in it for a long time, we're going to turn around in decades and be shocked at what God's able to do in and through us. Closing statements, landing the plane. Here we go. Verse 11 says, We should not just desire these things, but we should pursue these things. It should be a focus, a goal to be this type of community, to have this type of connection with each other, to have this type of heart to heart, love, emotional connection, deeper than water, blood connection with each other. It should be something that we are aiming at and going for and pursuing. Because unless we do it, it doesn't happen. Unless we pursue it, it's not just going to fall in our laps. Unless we make a conscious effort, this is the type of family we're building, that this is the type of community that's being established here on planet Earth by God, on Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the one who was set up first, that we might all be built against Him and on Him, aligned with Him, supported by Him. Can I tell you, it's okay to look at Scripture like this and go, I can't do that because we're not supposed to be able to in our own strength. If we could, There'd be no use for the cornerstone. There'd be no reason for the first stone. There'd be no reason for it to be placed in the corner to align everything else by, to support everything else by. We need Jesus individually, corporately. All of this is done through His grace, by His grace, because of His grace at work in our lives. Here's the thing. Another wealthy investor once said that investing isn't risky. People are risky. To be the community that Peter talks about is a risk. Because to be connected with people 
at that level is a risk. To love is a risk because it is vulnerable. When you place your money in a company, you are vulnerable to the decisions that that company makes. When you decide that your heart is going to connect at this level with these people, you are choosing to be vulnerable. You're choosing to risk being hurt, being offended, being disappointed. You are choosing the fact that those things may and probably will, if you're intending on staying here a long time, probably will. It's a risk. See, when we love authentically and connect authentically, we risk getting hurt. It's safer not to, right? It's safer not to invest because you've got no chance of losing. It's safer to stay on the side, to attend, right? To not really be one of the family. To just rock up, but kind of just space yourself out. You know, just keep that healthy connection. Distance, don't want to get too deep in this thing. We avoid all the losses and we avoid all the pain. We avoid the disappointment and the bitterness. But we also miss the unity, the love, the sympathy, the care, the compassion, the tenderheartedness. We miss the benefit of humility. We miss all the fruit. We miss all the reward. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.